0: Don't worry, I don't have my tablet up here this morning. Um, Last time, those of you who were here when I preached, I was having trouble getting the pages turned and several of you mentioned to me very helpfully, don't you remember that you have the scriptures up there on the screen in front of you? And yes, I did remember that. The problem is all the stuff that came after that, which was missing. So um, thank you for your patience with that a couple of weeks ago. (coughs) We are looking at the parables in these series uh, over the next few weeks. Eric began last week with a parable of the sower. Um, And I'm continuing this week with the parable of the wedding banquet and it is a hard hard parable to understand To to even hear there's some disturbing and very confusing things in it, but we'll walk through them together But I am going to give you a, a clue in advance that I'm not going to tell you all the answers because I don't believe that's the way Jesus intended the parables to be Sometimes Jesus says things straight. He says love your neighbor and then sometimes Jesus offers a story to help you understand that and so when Jesus paired that with love your neighbor with the story of the Good Samaritan that saying that phrase that understanding principle of loving the people around us became even stronger and more firmly embedded in the memories of those who heard it and those who read today and that is the point of the parables we can say things straight all the time but when we hear a story it makes More sense it helps us to internalize it and it also takes some of the certainty out of it because when you say love your neighbor that's a command but then the man would ask well who is my neighbor and that's when Jesus told the story stories parables are just stories stories help us to understand to internalize and to carry things forward and that's why Jesus used them so often we want parables to have an answer They're so hard to understand sometimes. The different images that are used, they're from 2,000 years ago, the life of the people that lived in those times. We want an easy interpretation. We want a key that'll make everything make sense. But Jesus didn't give keys. He didn't give answers. In fact, there's only a couple of instances where people asked him to interpret a parable where he said, this is what it means, or this is what I meant. Other times, Jesus leaves it wide open for interpretation as if he gets up and tells a story and then just turns around and walks away and leaves it for us. To interpret and to understand what it means. It's not always easy to do, but it's more powerful that way. It's like good music or good art that you come to in a gallery and you see this painting, and to one person that's standing there, it means one thing. To the person standing next to you, it means something else. Or a symphony that you hear different times through your life and it has different emotional impact depending on what you're going through at the time. So the interpretation can differ from person to person and even can differ uh, depending on what stage of life we're in. For instance, the story of the prodigal son or the good father, depending on how you decide to title it, um, had meaning for me when I was younger. But then when I became a father, it meant something completely different. You understand it differently at different times and that's the wonderful things about the parables that's why when Jesus teaches it's so rich and still open to teach us even today because if Jesus had just said things straight away and straight out without telling stories then we could just pick apart what he said and did he mean this or did he mean that but the stories and the parables open up something inside of us Now, I'm about to read the story for you, and we're gonna have it on the screen for us to all follow along. Um, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It's one of my favorite translations because it just helps make things more story-like. Generally, we are used to being observers. We sit in front of the television. We sit in a seat in the theater. We watch and see what's going on. We are outside observers. But in that time, they didn't have television. They didn't have entertainment like that. Jesus invited people at that time to come into the story with him, the story that he was telling. He says, come into this story and find yourself here. So I'm going to read this passage to you first time through, and I just want you to put yourself in there. Where are you? Where are you standing? What are you doing while the other action is taking place? I want you to put yourself in this story as we read. It's from Matthew chapter 22, and we're going to read verses 1 through 14. Jesus also told them other parables. This comes after a couple of other parables. He said, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited, but they all refused to come. So he sent other servants to tell them, the feast has been prepared. The bulls and fatted cattle have been killed and everything is ready. Come to the banquet. But the guests he had invited ignored him and went on their own way, one to his farm, another to his business. Others seized his messengers and insulted them and killed them. The king was furious, and he sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. And he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, and the guests I invited aren't worthy of the honor. So now go out into the street corners and invite everyone you see. So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike, and the banquet hall was filled with guests. And I would love it if it stopped right there, but it doesn't. But when the king came in to meet the guests, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for the wedding. Friend, he asked, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. Then the king said to his aides, bind his hands and feet and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. How about that plot twist at the end, huh? (laughs) It would be so much simpler and easier if we could have stopped right after verse 10. We could have left it out about that guy um, at the end, and it would have been a much easier sermon to preach this morning, but that guy is there, and there's a reason that he's there, and we're going to talk about that. So one of the ways that you can understand parables, sometimes Jesus tells a story that is, just, is, is easy to understand because it's an experience that we can all relate to. Um, the story of the shepherd who lost one of his sheep or the woman who lost her coin. She looked all over the house for it and she found it and she celebrated because the coin was worth a lot. The sheep was worth a lot. That's a natural thing. We understand that, even though most of you, I assume, don't have sheep, but I'm sure you've lost something before that you were grateful when you found it, whether it's your car keys or a missing check or something like that. We can, we can identify with that experience. But one of the keys to understanding other parables is to look for the things that are surprising. Jesus tells a story that starts off sounding like something we might understand or have experience with, but suddenly there's something in there that makes us stop and say, whoa, This is not a normal story. This is not the way that I expected this to go. And when we see something like that in these parables, it helps us to unlock and understand what Jesus is saying because if we hear the weirdness there, then the people who were standing there at the time when Jesus first spoke the parable would absolutely hear it and would be confused by what they were hearing. There's several of those little surprises in this parable that will help us to understand maybe what Jesus is trying to tell us. But first, a couple of things. We're going to read the story again, and we're going to unpack it as we go along. But a few things to understand. Number one, this is not a straight allegory. Jesus is not saying the king is God and the servants are the prophets. People later have interpreted it that way. There's different interpretations, but I don't think that's what Jesus meant at all. He's telling a story about people who are invited to a banquet, to a party, and how they accept or refuse that invitation. So don't be tempted right now. We're not going to look at this as a straight allegory. We could look at it this way and historically how, you know, the second group of servants were like the Christian missionaries. There's different ways of looking at that, but we're not going to look at it that way. Another thing that I want us to stray away from is to think of this as a one-time parable. There's several ta- places um, in, the, in the, the Gospels where Jesus tells a story or a parable, and it's easy for us to think, "Aha! Uh-huh, this is just a one-time thing. Let me explain. Eric last week talked about this, the, the parable of the sower who is sowing seed. And we think, oh, the seed is this kind of, it's this, this the Word of God, and these are people who are hard-hearted, these are people who are whatever. But the truth is, is that different days we wake up, I might be the guy who's the hard-hearted guy, and then the next day I might be the guy with the soft soil heart. It's not a one-time-all thing, and if, you're, if you don't take the seed this day, then you're gone forever, all eternity, you're out. It's an ongoing thing, and that's what this parable, I think, is also about. It's the invitation to join the kingdom of God and to be a part of what God is doing in the world. Not just in heaven, there is an aspect to that there, but there's also an aspect to the kingdom that is happening right here and now. God's kingdom, God's dominion, is where God is working in the world. Wherever God has rule and authority and people are following God's way, that is God's kingdom. And that's how Jesus can say things like the kingdom of God is at hand and the kingdom of God is here. He's not saying that heaven is just right around the corner. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But the kingdom wasn't just something that was meant for the hereafter, it's meant for the hereafter and now how we live life and that kingdom is a banquet it is a joyful thing now it's not an easy thing to live god's way in a world sometimes that doesn't want to hear any of that but it is a joyful thing to know that you are loved and accepted no matter who you are no matter where you find yourself in this parable it is a joyful thing and so jesus says we are invited to this banquet you are invited this very moment to be a part of this banquet what are you going to do with the invitation. And don't worry, if you're afraid of being left behind or left out, you don't have to worry because if you're afraid of that, then you are already inside. The only ones here who are not at the party are the ones who intentionally chose not to be there. So let's go back through the parable again and listen and see where Jesus leaves, leaves us cues, these little surprises and things, and maybe try to understand and unpack what it might mean for you and me today. Verse one, going back to the beginning, Jesus told them other parables. Now, I need to help you uh, know, I said that there were some other parables and they were spoken specifically to the Pharisees. Um, Jesus was in Jerusalem. Uh, This is the last week of his life and he's confronted by the Pharisees and he tells them um, some parables. Instead of just arguing with them straight out, he tells stories, which of course a story is much harder to respond to than an argument. Um, So he uses stories to help them understand what their place is in God's kingdom and what it is that they're rejecting. Jesus also told them other parables. He said the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. Now, this is an ordinary event. There's no surprise here. A king's son is getting married. He's going to throw a big party. He has a banquet, uh, and it's going to be a big banquet. It's going to be an expensive banquet. And knowing Jewish weddings of those days that were multi-day affairs, it was going to be a long, wonderful celebration. This was an event that everybody would want to come to. Now, when the banquet was ready, verse 3, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited. In those days, you would send an initial invitation to people to say that there's a banquet coming. It's probably going to be around this date. I'll send word when everything is ready. So he sent his servants out because everything was ready. All the, 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 the meat was cooked. The vegetables were prepared. Everything was grilled, ready on the tables, ready to be enjoyed. But what? But they all refused to come. Now this is the first place where people listening in Jesus' time and you and I, if we're not used to hearing this story, would stop and say, they what? They refused to come? Now, a a wedding in those days was a huge event. It didn't matter whether you were rich or poor. It was a time of celebration, and you brought people together. There was food. There was drinking. There was uh, entertainment. There was just all kinds of wonderful things that happened. So if somebody invited you to a wedding feast, unless you had a really, really, really good reason, you would go because it's a great event. It's great to be together like that. So to refuse a wedding invitation unless you had a really good reason, you were sick or something like that, it was an insult to your host, You understand, like somebody invites you to something, it's a huge event, they're paying for everything, they invite you, and you're just like, nah, i got other things to do, I'm not coming. So to insult the king like this was an even bigger insult. It's a huge insult to tell a king, yes, your son's getting married, but I have other things to do. I know it's going to be a great party, but I've got other important things to take care of. Verse 4, so he sent other servants to tell them, maybe they didn't hear me right the first time. The feast has been prepared, the bulls and fattened cattle have been killed, and everything is ready. Come to the banquet. But the guests he had invited ignored them and went on their way, one to the farm, one to their business, and others even seized the messengers and insulted them and killed them. Now this is the point at which Jesus hearers at that time would definitely have said, this is not right. Not only would people not refuse to come to a king's wedding banquet, a king's son's banquet, they definitely wouldn't refuse just to say, oh, I've got some cattle to take care of over here, oh, I've got to go check on the shop. No, this wouldn't happen. And more than that, they even took the servants and they killed them. So this is a surprising thing, and we could get into the historical stuff that people think that this means, but the idea is that these people not only rejected the invitation, they violently pushed that invitation away. And the king, verse 7, was obviously furious. He sent out his army to destroy the murderers and to burn their town. And then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready and the guests I invited aren't worthy of the honor. So now go out to the street corners and invite everyone you see. So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike, and the banquet hall was filled with guests. So this is partially surprising and partially uh, understandable. The king has this feast, everything's prepared. He wants people to be there and so he tells his servants to go into the street and collect everyone you see whether it's the person who's on their way back from the market with their groceries and their meat or, or maybe it's just the person with their kids that are going home bring them inside uh, what about the guy the, the, the crippled man that sits up by the gate and begs bring him inside what about the blind guy over by the pool make sure he comes and he comes inside too. everybody gets to come inside even the the town drunk maybe who's stumbling around in the streets in the evening and they bring them all inside now in those days if you invited people to a wedding you took care of all of their needs if they didn't have a place to stay in town you provided that for them and if you didn't have clothes to wear proper clothes to wear that would be provided for you too so in Jesus story we can imagine the king saying to the servants go into my closets and bring out the best robes that I have bring out the dresses and the robes and all the finest things give these people something to wear so that we can celebrate my son's wedding together So all these people have been invited. The first group, now those were the the religious 1%, you know, the ones who were, uh, if Jesus was talking to the Pharisees at that time, the people who were the rule keepers, the rule followers, the ones who wanted everything to be so and so and so, they were the ones who were violently rejecting if we made this into an allegory. And the second group of people is everyone else, everyone else. And so the king invites him to come in. And again, remember, because it helps us understand what's happening in this third part, that people are provided clothing if they don't have proper clothing for a wedding. So when the king came in to meet the guests, this is where the thing gets difficult. He noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. Friend, he asked, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? Didn't you see as you came in the door that they were handing out clothes? That my best robes and my finest clothes were out there for everybody to wear so that you could celebrate this feast with me together? And we don't know why the man was there. I don't understand how he got in without, without getting clothes. Maybe he thought he was just going to sneak in and grab some cupcakes and leave. I don't know what that was about. But for some reason, he was there without the proper clothes. And Jesus excuse me, and Jesus finishes the story. He says, friend, how is it that you're here without wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. So the king said to his aides, bind his hands and feet and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Outer darkness, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, you will hear several times in Jesus' story, uh, Jesus' parables. You'll also hear it in other writings of the time. It's basically saying they're outcasts, they're put outside. Because in those times, there weren't streetlights. There weren't, you know, places that you could go, hotels that you could stay. If you got cast out of a place like that, you were in the dark, literally in the dark and the cold. So this man was cast outside. For many, Jesus says, are called, but few are chosen. And really, in this context, the word that Jesus uses here for many means all. Everybody is invited, but few are chosen. Few actually come in and stay. So we have three different perspectives here that I think can help us understand what's going on in this parable. There's three different people or types of people that are invited to the party. The first, are the Pharisees or the religious people that Jesus is speaking to. He's obviously speaking straight to them, and they would understand that this first group of people who violently pushed away the invitation, who killed uh, the king's servants, these, they would, Jesus was speaking to them. But not just to them, to anybody who really felt like they had it all already they didn't really need to come to this party and we think about this uh, if Jesus was speaking to the the people who felt like they were religious enough today then Jesus might be telling this story very differently in our midst he might be telling it to us because sometimes you and I we feel like we're already at the kingdom we're already in the party but we have other things that are going on we push the invitation to the side we might see an opportunity where God shows us a way that we can be engaged in God's world and we say, you know what? I'm, I'm too busy. I, I'll do that later. I can take care of that later. Right now, I've got other things to do, kind of like the, 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 the men in the, the parable of the Good Samaritan who went around. They were busy. They had other things going on, so they left him on the side of the road. And maybe, maybe that's you and I. Maybe you found yourself there in that first group of people. Remember, they were invited. They were always invited, but they chose not to be there. They pushed away the invitation. Then there's the second group of people, the unexpected, the ones who were more like the outsiders that you didn't really expect to be at a party like this, and yet they are brought in anyway. They too are invited, and this brings in everybody else. Now this means, again, if we're making this an allegory, I think it means that the kingdom of God is open to every single person, and that really we are already at the party. We've received the invitation. The party is here and set for us. What are we going to do? with that invitation and maybe you find yourself in this group maybe you find yourself as as one of the people who are unexpectedly invited to God's party maybe you feel like you you don't have the talents or the skills that other people have maybe you feel like you've done some bad things in the past and your story doesn't allow you to come into God's presence but God says it doesn't matter how you're dressed it doesn't matter what you've done it doesn't matter what you can do or not do you can come to the party and be a part you are Invited. And I'm telling you this morning, you are invited this very day, this very moment to be at the party and participate in what God is doing. But then there's the third person, the third that guy, <laughs> uh, who makes the story so difficult. And here we have to understand that when you come to the kingdom of God, you can come exactly as you are. But you cannot expect it to leave you unchanged. Let me say that again. When you come to the party, when you are invited to the kingdom of God, it does not matter how you are, it does not matter the things that you've done, it does not matter what skills or talents you may have or not have, what denomination you are or any of that. What matters is that you're invited, but you cannot expect that the kingdom will not change you. Not because of the things that you have to do, when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, he's not talking about duties and responsibilities and all the rules and laws that you have to follow. Remember, he's talking to the Pharisees. They've got, all that stuff, they've got that stuff taken care of. No, it's because unconditional love is going to transform you. It's going to happen. It's going to happen again and again and again. When you experience and fully allow yourself to feel God's love for you, it is going to change you. And you're going to change the way you live and the way you behave and the way you act and speak to others because of that love. Not because Jesus said you have to do this, but because you have experienced that love and you want other people to experience it too. One of my favorite scenes from the book and the musical Les Miserables is the story, you're familiar with the story, I think it's Jean Valjean who's this uh, convict who was thrown into prison for stealing bread and basically was hardened in prison uh, to become this thief and this awful person. And he, he gets out of prison, he's on parole, um, and he stops at the house of a priest uh, and uh, he, while he's there, the priest gives him dinner. He has these papers with him. So basically, if any time he tries to go to an inn or anywhere, they kick him out because he has these convict papers that he has to show to anybody. But the priest takes him in, gives him food, gives him a warm bed to stay for the night. You remember what happens in this story? The, in the middle of the night, Jean Valjean, again, this hardened man, he cannot imagine what life is going to look like. He can't imagine hope in his life anymore because he's just completely broken. Uh, He gets up in the middle of the night, he sneaks into the cabinet where they keep all of the silver and gold articles that they use for uh, the table, the table uh, settings and uh, candelabras and things like that, and he scoops them up into a bag and he leaves. And in the morning, the the they catch him outside, and they see him with all the 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 soldiers or police or whoever it was catch him with all of this gold and silver, and they know immediately this came from the priest's house. So they drag Jean Valjean back to the house of the priest, who's woken uh, early in the morning. The housekeeper is shocked at what's going on, and the and the police proceed to tell the priest this man has taken all of your silver and gold. Do you remember what the priest did? He said. This man hasn't stolen these things. I gave them to him. He's starting a new life and he needs a new way to live. He needs these resources to get started on a new life. So I gave them to him. He didn't steal them from me. You can let him go and let him go his way. A priest in that moment could have condemned, could have said, you're absolutely right. Send this man back to prison and Jean Valjean would have died in prison. But he changed his life by showing him the love of God. And he tells them, I have bought your life for God. Now you go and show other people this same love. And it does. It transforms him. Now this is just a fictional story. It's a beautiful story, but it's a fictional story. But it's the kind of thing that happens to us because when you and I experience God's unconditional love, it transforms us. It has the power to change the way we live, the way we speak to others, and the way that we act. And we cannot expect to come to this party, to this banquet, and not be changed. And that's what happened to this man who didn't have clothes. For whatever reason, he snuck into the party In the story. This man, I think, represents those who who are invited to the party but don't want to really allow it to change them. They just want to come and grab a few cupcakes and leave. And Jesus says, that's not what the kingdom is about. It's all or nothing and when you come in you're gonna be transformed and so as we finish this sermon this morning again, I told you I was not gonna leave you a, uh, a key or, or a set answer um, we're gonna finish with a time of sharing the journey which is when you turn and speak to people around you uh, what I want you to do is to um, listen just talk to each other about where you found yourselves in this story and where you have experienced the invitation of God to be part of the kingdom right now. So again, find a a conversation partner either front, behind you, beside you. Um, Spend a couple of minutes and talk um, about where you've experienced God's invitation and where you found yourself in this story. I'll give you three or four minutes to do that.